0: He goes, Oof, now I'm going to have to be buried two places. I wonder who's going to get my lower half.
1: I'm Bryce, this is Plastic Urns, and that was Casey quoting her father. Why? Well, we'll get to that. Casey Wilson, formerly People Magazine's most beautiful 40-year-old alive, is, among many other things, an actress, writer, and podcast host. She's starred in such shows as Black Monday and The Shrink Next Door, and co-hosts the Real Housewives-themed podcast, Bitch Sesh. She's also written a phenomenal memoir about the death of her mother called The Wreckage of My Presence, and created a short film called Daddio about how her and her dad struggled through the death of her mother. This will be the last episode of our season, but get excited for the next one, and in the meantime, enjoy Casey's many stories.
0: So my mom died of a heart attack that was very sudden, and it was um, she was at the beach, Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, where our family would go every year. And my brother and I were set to join my dad and her for a family vacation the next day. And she was just walking on the beach with my dad the night before. Everything was, was as you know, we always say these stories, everything was going great and normal because <laughs> we so want the outcome, I think, to be different. And then she died in her sleep. Uh, so that was kind of the initial, like, story of what I thought had happened and what was true that happened, that she had a heart attack. But what I kind of later learned about, God, 12 years later and what my dad knew to be true but he didn't share with my brother and i was that my mom had also battled an addiction on and off for years to ritalin which is kind of like today's Adderall and kind of was getting prescriptions for it and it was very sad because i think it was really in an effort to like work full time and to raise two kids and she was kind of that mom that's like at every at every soccer game running the PTA you know doing so much and so actually a lot of like suburban women became addicted to ritalin in the 90s Uh, To kind of like give you energy, really, and to help you lose weight. And so what we kind of found out a bit later is that we do think the kind of years of Ritalin abuse, it really genuinely, much like Adderall, kind of can speed up your heart rate. So in a sort of sadder twist, what I thought was kind of this like incredibly random heart attack for a woman at 48, at 54, excuse me, um, kind of, and we can't say for sure, but I'm sure it contributed. It it certainly didn't help.
1: So you said you found that out 12 years after she died? Yes. Was that a was that like opening a new can of worms when that happened?
0: I'll say, right? <laughs> yes. Um, you know, it was so interesting. I was pregnant with my second son, who you might hear piping in and screaming in the other room. Um, you know, it was interesting because the reason my dad told me, which my dad <laughs> spares no one any feelings ever. So I was shocked he kept that secret. He's just like gossips and he's an open book. and But he kind of really didn't want that to kind of tarnish maybe my brother and I's viewpoint. On my mom, and I think the fact that we learned about it older actually really helped because we just really had compassion and empathy. but mainly it was a missing piece to our childhood. That's what my brother and I kind of say It was like that bit of information was like a missing piece because there was erratic behavior, and there was periods of time where my mom would have such high energy and be like building things for her preschool in the middle of the night or. But then also real periods of low where she would kind of be in her bedroom for the whole weekend. And so it was more just like confusion surrounding that. So in a way, it was, I don't want to say relief, but it was like, oh, that's what I was seeing and was kind of going
1: on. Got it. How old were you when she died?
0: You know, this is so strange. I don't really know. I I know that's great. I think I was 24 or 25. I literally have blocked it to the point where my friend always laughs because she always reminds me how old I was. Interesting. And I'm like, I don't know. It just happened in such a blur. I had just moved to Los Angeles two days before. And I'm like, God, I don't even know. I was just in a morass, if that's the word, or like a... Blurry time of like 20s, disastrous <laughs> 20s. <laughs>
1: Wait, so do you remember much of the experience at all? Or is it like when you look at a childhood photo and you're like, I remember being two years old with this photo, but yeah, you just recreated it? I
0: do remember okay. it very, very, in very good detail, more than I'd love to remember, probably. But just the time after it, too, was such a blur of like me trying all these different things to get out of grief and throwing myself yeah. into different projects. And it, it's really more the time after it that's a blur.
1: What, yeah, what were your techniques that you tried and may not have worked?
0: (laughs) Oh, God, so many failed techniques. But you know, it's funny because people always say like, oh, I hadn't processed that grief or I don't think I took the time to process. And I always kind of feel like everybody's processing in every second. You might be doing X, Y, or Z, but there's no way to not process the fact that someone's missing from your life. And so I'm kind of like, there's so no right way. Right after she died, I did a strange thing. And I mean like the day after because I'm a like student and like a type A kind of like Tracy Flick type personality. Mm-hmm. And I went to Barnes & Noble and I was like, I'm going to read every book there is on grief and how to grieve, which is like, uh-huh. what? Like it, it was just part of the kind of like weird thinking you have, you know, where you look back and laugh that I bought like 12 books, like how-to books on grief. I never really read any of them. Right. But I was like determined to do grief Right. I remember working out always helps, you know, mm-hmm. the, the probably the old standbys. But the main thing that helped me hands down was just therapy, which I was lucky enough to be able to afford. A woman took me sliding scale at the time because I was, could barely pay rent. And it was around the time in my life <laughs> where like three weeks before my mom died, my phone – I knew my phone was going to die because I hadn't paid the bill. So I called her to ask if I could borrow money. And in the middle of talking to her, the f- died. <laughs> and I did, I, my phone, the plug was pulled. So I didn't have a ton of money at that point.
1: So did you like finish moving into your apartment? Did you start? Had you unpacked anything? I mean, I didn't even have an apartment. I
0: was just living with three friends, one of whom oh. had sublet me his side of the bed. His side of the bed. So oh, was wow. with another girlfriend was on the other side and he moved into the kitchen. Onto a kitchen in the kitchen, yes, that he built almost like a shower curtain around to like separate him from the kitchen, but you'd be like cooking and he'd poke his head out and say, Hi. It was really strange. These are the struggling actor years in LA, the sad years I call them.
1: I can't imagine what was it like not having like a dedicated space? Or is that why he moved to the kitchen? So you could like cry in a room. Oh, he moved to the kitchen. kitchen. I was there.
0: I mean, it wasn't great. I gotta tell you, none of it was great. And then finally, I did move later that year. I was able to afford with another girlfriend. We moved to a horrible place on Kowanga, Basically, like I call it the mouth of the 101. Like basically it was like an underpass. But um, we moved to to an apartment together. And then I had my own room in which I strangely dra- dragged my mattress into the closet and, and slept there for a year. All strange th- strange things were happening. I just felt like I almost needed a more like – I literally—grief brought me, like, truly down to the ground. I needed, like, a more womb-like— You
1: needed a cocoon? Yes.
0: Like, pure darkness. Because that's how I felt. I was in pure darkness, so it almost just
1: mirrored my emotions. (laughs) And it was just, like, time and therapy that brought you out of that?
0: And honestly, so at the year mark—I remember the year mark—my friends took me very nicely back to Rehoboth Beach to kind of be there for the anniversary of my mom's passing. And then I remember I woke up the day after, and we actually had a really nice time. We, like, went to a piano bar. My mom loves singing, so it was really nice, as nice as it can be, you know. And the next day I woke up, and I still felt so down. I don't know why I kind of had been under this illusion that after a year, I was going to feel better. And so I remember being like, well, this is – wow, I actually, if anything, feel worse. And I found my second year was worse.
1: Mm -hmm. I
0: think the first year is – it's definitely filled with all the heartache of, like, this is the first – birthday without her. This is the first this. But the second year, you're like, oh, this is not changing. Like it almost sinks in. You're kind of like riding the adrenaline of firsts and like all the schemes you think are going to help you run from the grief and the trips you're going to take and all this. And then the second year, you're like, fuck. So at that point, I did go on medication. And I have to say, to be totally candid for me as someone who has like a little history of depression, I had to because I was like, I know I should be working out and doing all the things people say you should do, but I honestly can't even get to those
1: things. Yeah.
0: So I I started on a little medication, which I took for a year, and it, like, lifted me off the bottom to where I was able to go on a walk and, like, able to do the healthy things one should do. Got it. So that sort of pulled me out of the, the, like, darkest stage. So I'm so grateful for that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's so much malaise of it that, like, oh. crawling out of it is a shit show.
0: Oh, my God. I, I think I put this in my book, but I every day would bring a new, like, surge of energy where I'm like, today's the day I tackle <laughs> I'm back. So I'd, like, be like, I'm going to go do my dry cleaning. Then I'm going to run here. Then I'm going to run there. And then it would be, like, 10 a.m. And I was like, oh, I can't do any of this. I have to go lie down. Yeah. Yeah. And then you'd just all best laid plans would go out the window. And I would be like, I'm exhausted I've never been that tired as I, then I, when I got pregnant and I realized what kind of exhaustion you feel in your first trimester, like, oh, this is the same exhaustion I felt with grief where it's almost like a wall. Like you have a hard time pushing through it sometimes. I think I've had depression. It's always been circumstantial, but I think I have a propensity toward like leaning into it. And I was finally just like, I, when I'm not depressed, I'm a pretty optimistic, upbeat, person. And so it just felt like I've gotten so far afield from my set point that, you know, it doesn't feel great to not be showering or whatever. right? And I was just like, I'm too far from myself right now. I need help. And that's sort of, you know, and I know some people don't need that and that's great or maybe have feelings about that. But for me, I'm like, well, why wouldn't we take advantage? I kind of felt like I'd put in my time. I'm like, I did a year without medication, it was a r-
1: it was the first full year this yes, of this was Marjorie after, just like just like l- like lying in oh the closet. yeah
0: and I mean, I was still working. It wasn't like I shut down, but I was not at full capacity, which right. again, who would expect to be? But it was the medication that I think allowed me to be like, okay, I still have to live my life and kind of you know, got me out of the darker part that I thought was really veering into the unhealthy. Got it. it just gave me my, like, life force back or energy. And it was such a small dose, but I remember thinking, like, this has made such a huge difference for me to just, I don't honestly, to have a little more energy. I just, my energy was so low that, you know, I'd go to an improv table and then I'd be like, I'm so tired, or improv group. I'm like, whereas before I'd, like, I don't know, everything just made me very tired. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, so it, it really helped me, lift me off. What I would say, like, if you are on the bottom-bottom, you want to punch people in the face who are like, take a walk. You're not there. And so it really helps if you can get a little nudge to then get – it will help you get to all the healthy behavior. Right. That can genuinely help you. But there's nothing if – if you can't even get to there, you're struggling. Mm-hmm. And obviously therapy and sure. all these other things can help too.
1: But you need to like have the energy to make the appointment and then exactly. have the appointment to do the whole thing.
0: Yeah. And I, I did not have that at that time.
1: Do you remember your experience like um, finding out she died and what that was like? I imagine that was phenomenally sudden and unexpected.
0: Yes. So I was asleep and the night before I couldn't really sleep and I woke up in the middle of the night and I walked into the bathroom and I was like, I really can't sleep. Like I – and I was flying to go to see my mom the next day and I'm like, I really am going to need to sleep if I'm going to – you know, whatever. And I'm like, God, should I take half an Ambien? And then I thought, no. And I, no, I don't need that. So I lay back down in bed and I think to myself, all of a sudden, I see this like image of a hot air balloon moving from like, if you're thinking of your like brain like a screen, from like the bottom left hand up to the top right into the sky. And it was moving very slowly. It was like a daydream. I wasn't asleep. It was weird. Like an image of it just came w- to what me. What time was this? It was like three. Oh, no, it was like. 1 or 2 a.m.
1: And you'd woken up from sleep? Yes.
0: I'd been awake. And I'd come back. I was like, I'm going to take an Ambien. No, I'm not. So now I'm just back lying in bed awake. And what I felt when I saw it, and it was distinctly strange. I'm like, and I felt a calm come over me that said, you don't need an Ambien. You don't need anything. You're okay. Like basically as you are. You don't need anything. And then I I was like, fell right asleep. And then I woke up to my uh, best friend, June, Diane Raphael. We've been best friends since we were, she's an actress, uh, since we were 17, And she came into the room. She didn't live with me, so I knew something was terribly wrong. And my dad had gotten hold of her because police officer had told him it's best to have someone with your kids when they hear. And so we called June. She happened to be like checking her phone and happened to be awake in the middle of the night. It was all very strange. And she came over and put my dad on the phone. And then, yeah, he told me. And I just truly fell to the ground. I was in such shock. But then later, so I wrote down, of course, I don't have it off the top of my head, but that day I wrote down what time I had seen that hot air balloon. And I said, I want to check it with time of death when the coroner comes. And it was the same time. So I do have some strange things. I I knew it. You have some strange things. I knew it was, though. I was like, I'm going to check it just to check it. But I know that was when my mom was saying. And the message I had received that night was like, you're okay. You're going to be okay." And I thought it was in regards to, like, you don't need an ambient to fall asleep. But it was this, like, notion of, like, you're going to be okay on your own, basically, without anything.
1: Did you then fly to, like, back to the East Coast that yes, day? Yes, I did. Okay.
0: That was a terrible flight. And I, my friend was like, in hindsight, I think I should have flown with you. <laughs> um, yeah, it was just an unreal, surreal. And then I had, like, a long layover. I remember just it was like middle seat the back just like so out of it you know just out of it
1: did you have to deal with with any of the other logistics around her death when you were out there yeah
0: I did all of them yeah the whole thing I mean the one talk about mistake I made which I didn't even know it was a mistake to make or not make I didn't know what was happening but then they did (laughs) at our wake. at the wake that was just family it was open casket. And I just, I'm like, God, I wish I never saw that because now we're three days removed. And I think in my my mom's Baptist, there had been some talk of like, are we going to do open casket for the actual service? And right then and there, I was like, absolutely not. Like, it was the most truly uh, out of body, stunning, shocking, horrible things I have ever seen. And I should have taken a page for my grandpa because i said to him are you going in my mom's dad and he goes honey i prefer to see people when they're living not when they're dead and then i was like that should have been my warning
1: <laughs> was this before or after makeup and such was done
0: this was after but okay. um yeah i mean I, I probably told you this too but right before i went in to see her this woman came up to me never seen her before she had a lot of makeup on <laughs> there's also been a sign And she was like, can I ask you a question? She's like, I just did your mama's makeup. And may I ask, who is the doctor that did her eye lift? It is so good. Could I get that doctor's name? And I laughed so hard because my mom had had an eye lift like 10 years before or a few years before, I was laughing so hard because I'm just like, it's so inappropriate that she would ask that, but also quite a compliment. My mom would have been like, great. You know, right to the end, my eye lift is looking great. <laughs> so it just made me die laughing.
1: Did you give her the doctor's name? I did
0: not even have the doctor. I mean, again, you're. I'm like, just trying to like hold myself here together, but I took it as a compliment. Okay. And she meant it as a very big compliment. So it's like, okay, right to the end, right up to the end. <laughs> getting compliments. You know... We also did two funerals, which was our decision because my grandfather couldn't travel. So that's what it happened too, which is that, so then we, we all flew to Florida where she was going to be buried. So we did a very small service there. And then, oh yeah, this is funny. So when we drove out to the funeral or to the plot, you know, I asked, <laughs> so crazy. So my mom really liked Coca-Cola, but like really liked it. Like, I feel like 20,000 a day. And, also really like this one purse she had. And, you know, again, you're just in such a weird headspace. And I felt compelled, more than compelled, like obsessively. It was obsessively necessary to bury her with a can of Coke, which I'm like, that's going to explode. Like now I'm just thinking of it. And I buried her with a can of Coke and a purse and like photos of my brother and I. And a lot of her jewelry. <laughs> but I didn't tell my dad this. So we're driving away from the – Funeral, and I said something about I'm glad I like have all her rings and diamond rings and stuff. And my dad's like, Casey, you're gonna want those for your grandkids. Like, the, you know, the, they're not meant to go with her, you yeah. know. And it wasn't about like he was like, we need the money. It was more just like, I think, you know, Fletcher gets engaged. She's gonna, you're gonna want those wedding rings to like actually still be with us. So
1: <laughs> you have to go and
0: yeah. So he went and talked to the guy because was, she was, she had been like lowered in and then. Uh, my last memory is seeing the coffin taken back up on springs, <laughs> but then they tilted it up. So it was like on this very sharp diagonal, almost perpendicular to the ground. And I was just picturing her body and they're like rustling about it. And then I see someone just like opening it and looking for me. I was like, I cannot believe what my eyes are seeing. But it was nice to have those rings when Fletcher got married. So okay. my dad was right, but it was not. I,
1: I Did you get the Coke back?
0: I left the coke, and that's tough to Didn't think drip of it out, exploding. I don't know what the hell happened to that coke, but <laughs> left the coke in the purse. These are just wild hairs you get that you're like, I will see this through, this idea through.
1: Yeah. Yeah. When my dad was buried, like they had they had to like drive the backhoe to like drop the dirt in over like everyone else's grave. It's like this can't be the appropriate action here.
0: What do you mean?
1: Yeah, so they weren't apparently fans of shoveling the dirt back into the grave after the body was lowered. So, okay. So, so they used a backhoe, like a, one of those like diesel. Yeah, I powered, know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, and the, it was a uh, it was a green burial, which is to say, like it was in like a bit of a naturey area with like kind of a slim path that was like wide enough to walk down, but not wide enough to drive a. 10-foot-wide vehicle down.
0: Oh, my God.
1: And so they have to drive this thing down the path and inevitably, like, drive over all of the graves on the way to his. It's like, this is incredibly unromantic. Yes,
0: yes, yes.
1: Do you have an actual, like, headstone?
0: Yes, we do, yeah. My father, we also, we had, like, bought him a plot at the same time. I have no idea why, but he has a headstone with his name and his... It it the it's the best. It says the year of when he's born, and then a dash, and then nothing. It's amazing. So, one time we were visiting the grave, and then at this point, my dad is remarried to my stepmom, and he goes, "Now I'm gonna have to be buried two places. I wonder who's gonna get my lower half." As (laughs) though, (laughs) as though. When he's gone, these women are going to be fucking him. I, I was just like, (laughs) okay.
1: (laughs) And fighting. One lucky woman will get
0: (laughs) my father's lower half. (laughs) Fighting, yeah, fighting over it (laughs) in the great beyond. Okay. Okay.
1: With the funeral, Mm -hmm. did you end up actually like having to redub lines of a funeral?
0: I did, yes. So my dad it makes political commercials, and so he taped my mom's funeral on, like, an old-timey camcorder on, like, two of them that he set up. And did you
1: get he, multiple angles there?
0: Oh, yes, he did, yes, okay. and edited it together, you know. People, again, like, when you grieve, it's so funny to look back. Like, you know it's crazy when certain things you do. You're like, I can see outside of my body that this is crazy. Like, I see my dad setting up multiple angles for a (laughs) funeral. But it's, like, what he needed to do, he felt very strongly that there were some of my mom's dear friends that couldn't be there. And he felt really strongly, like, I want them to see this. Got it. And feel like they were a part of it. So that was, like, his mission. Then my mission of the day was, like, making sure the music was what you would want. Like, everybody takes on their own kind of crazy stuff. But then at one point... I guess the mic dropped out. I have no idea what, but my dad felt that I guess maybe my performance or my voice wasn't what he wanted. And so he asked me to come in and ADR, which is what we do in my business of like basically redubbing yourself in a booth. And then so I basically had to recreate the tears from my mom's funeral for a line so that he could have the perfect DVD. And then he gave it to everyone in our family as stocking stuffers. Have you watched it since? I have not, right? I love how he was just like, oh, everyone will love this. Like he thought he was really gifting us with like a cool video, you know, <laughs> like, oh yeah, 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 you'll love this.
1: So you were there for a while then you fly back and then yes. you're just.
0: Well, so I was dating this guy at the time who ran the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater where I did a lot of comedy and I wasn't going to come back right away but he said, you know, we're auditioning for these Herald, which is like improv teams and they're very hard to get on. And very competitive. And he's like, if you miss the audition, like, I can't, you know, get you on one. So I think you should come back because if you get on one, like, it'll give you something to do that's fun, you know, twice a week for the next however many years. Like, I think it'd be good for you. I'm like, I really don't feel ready to come back. And he's like, trust me, I'm running the auditions. Like, you'll be all good. So I come back and then I proceeded to not get on a team. (laughs) I was like, oh my God, I can't take a failed audition right now. So that happened. So I did not have that fun improv to look forward to. But um, yes, and then I came back here. And then about a year later, I got on Saturday Night Live. So then I moved to New York for two years and then came back here.
1: I suppose that helped with momentum of like getting out of a malaise, being in New York Mm. or No? No.
0: Say so only because <laughs> I think it could have it had been a different experience. But you know, being on SNL is an incredibly difficult, incredibly dark experience, mm-hmm. and and even for those who are doing great at it. So, and I was not. But I think that's honestly part of the reason I, I stayed on my medication a little longer because I was just like, I'm so out of it, and you you cannot be out of it to be on that show. Like you, you, and it's also. This sounds like a small thing, but you have to stay awake overnight two weeks of two days of the week. So you're you're up overnight on Mondays and on Saturdays, I think. Or two I don't even fucking remember. Enough so that your brain is so scrambled and your body is so out of whack and you feel so exhausted all the time. So then you're so emotional. And then I mean it's just like a punishing experience. I wouldn't say I was
1: got it. Completely so not all not there. a good Yeah.
0: It was not a great transition for
1: me. No. Okay. No. Got it. So moving back to L.A.
0: Yes. Then I actually got exhale. on a show called Happy Endings, which was wonderful. Then I met my husband. You know, it was smooth sailing from there. Let's just say got that. It. it took me a few years. Yeah.
1: Yeah, not sleeping probably doesn't help with grief.
0: We no, it didn't. It, nor does it help with, like, exercising and eating well. Like, you're just, like, in a deprivation mm-hmm. tank. And then, like, failing comedically during the off time. So it was just not great. But. Grateful for the experience. Blessed,
1: blessed, blessed. (laughs) Too blessed to be stressed.
0: Yeah, I was too blessed to be stressed. (laughs) Yeah. I was actually too stressed to be blessed.
1: Was there a weirdest place or reason that you found yourself crying? Oh,
0: my gosh. I, this one isn't a weird place, but it sort of made me laugh. I The first New Year's after New Year's has always been a very tough time for me in regards to death just because there's just something about it of like, oh, this person's not going to get to see this next year that we're all celebrating. That really would always bum me out. So but my friends are like, we're going to go out. And, we're you know, I'm 25, however old I am. And so we're in West Hollywood, and we're getting dressed. And again, that feeling comes in where I'm like, I can't go to a club. Like, I'm feeling so depressed. But yet I'm putting on my clothes. I'm getting dressed. And then I'm like – and I'm crying, but I kind of don't want them to see that I'm crying because they're all like trying to go out and have fun. And I'm like, they're going to make me go out. I can feel it because they think this is what I need, you know, like a night out on the town. So what I do is I decide to hold myself hostage, and I take an Ambien. So when I tell them – they're like, come on, come on. And I go, I can't. I've already taken an Ambien. Basically, like, I'm going down in two. So you can try, but you'll have to, like, drag my body. I basically, like, roofied myself. And so then five minutes later, I was asleep, and they had couldn't say anything about it. And it was one of the greater New Year's I've had. Sleep at 9 p.m.
1: Wait, do ambience hit that hard? That oh, quickly? they hit
0: very hard.
1: Yes. Uh, interesting.
0: Yeah. I mean, they knew I was done. It was like, you know, I powered myself down, basically. And I wasn't going to get talked out of staying home. So, look, if you ever don't want to go somewhere, just take a, take an Ambien, take a and in Eichel, and then people can't say anything about it.
1: Did you have to explain why you <laughs> took the Ambien? I told
0: them they were dying laughing. They're just like, this is so strange. Like, you really could have probably told us you didn't want to go. And I was like, I know, but even I know myself I like to please. I probably would have been like, all right, let's rally. But I just knew in my head that being with, like, strobe lights and people dancing would actually be so depressing.
1: Like, everyone else is living this exactly. joyous life. Exactly. Like, like
0: I definitely stuff. don't need... I'm already in the world with people's lives moving on. I don't need to see people, like, partying and, right now.
1: Yeah. Were there any other uniquely weird or surprising moments that come to mind?
0: Um, In my short film, I have a sequence which really happened where when my mom... My dad always takes photos everywhere, like, to the, the guy where you're like, you don't need a photo of this. You know, <laughs> like, always got the camera. And this is pre-even, like you know, when iPhone photos I mean, he's got the throwaway camera out. He's got whatever he's got out, you know. And when my mom died, he was in such shock that he took a ton of photos of her dead while when before the paramedics got there because and it's actually sweet. It's very sad. But he he was in this headspace of like, this is so unbelievable that this happened. He didn't think we would believe him, which like is sort of sweet. He just was like, this couldn't possibly have happened. Like, I need evidence to show them. And also, he felt like maybe we would want to see that. Like, would we be mad at him later that he was just in a crazy headspace? So, but then when he got kind of more in his right mind, A, he forgot about them, but B, he never showed us or whatever. So then my brother and I are like looking through stacks of photos, like of my dad like playing softball and like, <laughs> you know, whatever the hell and like me being on Saturday Night Live and then just like a thousand photos of my mom and dad. We were like, what? give a heads up on these. He's just got them lying around. He's like, oh, I forgot about those. <laughs> it's shocking. He's a shocking person. I love him so much, but he's a very funny guy. He's very sweet. So he, he had it, did it with great intentions, but you know, it's still shocking to see.
1: Um, has your experience with your mom's death changed? How you think about raising kids in any way? Oh
0: my God. Yes. It's all I think about. <laughs> basically all I do think about, um, yeah, you know, it's just laughing. So yesterday, I because I'm forty, I'm Like, how old am I? I'm 41. My mom died when she was 54, which is pretty young. And so I'm like, have these two kids. And I was on the phone with my doctor about my back. And so he's like, do you have any other questions? And obviously expecting a question about my back. And oh, and he'd also helped me with this like rash I got on my neck from a wool sweater. So he's now helped me with two things. So he's like, Any last questions? And I could tell he kind of, you know, had to go. But really what 99.999% of my body wanted to ask and I almost asked. (laughs) Genuinely, I was going to go, one last question. Do you think I'm going to die soon? (laughs) It's really quick. (laughs) I'm going to get that in. Because it's a lingering thought that I try not to give too much energy to. But you're kind of like, okay, here I am raising these kids. But I'm almost raising them to prepare them for when I'm gone. Which is, I think, a different – approach to what other, you know, and I'm happy for people that aren't kind of living life in that way. But I also think there's great things that come with that too, which is like, oh, I know how short life is. I know how special it is. I know how important it is to celebrate wins and try to find joy because it is, you know, changes with that one phone call.
1: Do your kids have any understanding of your mom?
0: They do. We talk about my mom a ton. Um, He really – they talk about her very openly. You know, Grandma Kathy went to heaven and Grandma Kathy's not here. And, oh, Grandma Kathy did this. And I tell them stories about her. And my older son, Max, is very connected to her. And, you know, again, whether it's that he knows that means something to me and maybe that's the motivation. But he's a little young to have, like, motivations for things too, though, (laughs) you know. But, like, he's very sweet. When we went to her grave this summer – You know, he he wasn't even six yet. And it's hard to to explain why we bury people under the ground. Like when you really break it down, it's quite strange, you know, to a kid. He's like, so wait, they're underground, you know? Because he kept going, when we get there, he goes, when we get there, can we dig her up and say hi? I was like, "Mm, that's not going to happen unless I need more jewelry. But he's like, oh, why can't we dig her up and give her a hug? He kept saying that. And he just really genuinely didn't understand. And I was like, oh, you know, I tried to explain, you know, once they're down there, like – but then it's also hard to explain that I also say she's all around us, you know. So I was kind of trying to be like, she's here, but she's also not here. And I was like, so we really kind of can't give her like a physical hug. And then I turn around and we're at the grave. And he's lying down face first on the um, on her kind of plot, giving it a hug. It was, I took a photo. It's the it sweetest thing. He was basically like, yeah, 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 to whatever you're saying. <laughs> like, I am going to give her a hug. Aww. It was so beautiful. That's awesome. Yeah. So there there's also like those moments, you know, Mm -hmm. I know. And then at school, they did this altar for Dia de los Muertos, like the Day of the Dead. And he's like, can I grab a photo of Grandma Kathy? I want to put her on the altar. And I was like very touched. I'm like, yeah, of course. So he brings in this photo. And then I asked the teacher to take a picture of it for me because we can't go with COVID. And she sent it to me. (laughs) I mean, it was sweet. Like, all the other kids have, like, a fish and a dog, you know, (laughs) and then, like, there's Grandma Kathy. (laughs) It's very sweet. Yeah. Like, he was just like, well, that's who's died in my life, you know? Yeah. So they're so funny. Like, Max, my older son, he's just so connected to, like, he's an old soul, whatever you believe that to mean, you can just tell he is. And my little guys, you know, it's hard. They have all these questions about, like where do you go when you're just like I don't fucking know I don't know you know and um I was in the car with them and it, it was like a beautiful sky it was like dusk and, and I was like oh my gosh look at the sky it's so beautiful isn't it it was so many colors and then my little son who's four was like oh yeah do you think that's what heaven looks like mama <laughs> and I said ah maybe you know we, we don't really know and then he goes oh mama he's like a new soul young young Optimist, And he goes, oh, but mama, uh, the good news is we're never going to die. And then my older son, there's like a pause and he goes, who's going to tell him? <laughs> it's like two different takes, two oh. different energies <laughs> about death.
1: <laughs> Have you or your kids ever felt your mom's presence at all since she's died?
0: Yes. So my mom's favorite song was uh, Somewhere Over the Rainbow. But this version that's way much more obscure by Ava Cassidy. It was like a 16-year-old girl that died. Her mom published the song. I mean, it's grim. It's but it's let's just say it's obscure. So I don't even have it in my Apple, you know, I, I don't have it in my library for whatever reason. So I'm just setting that up. So I wrote a memoir about largely about my mom and her about her death. And it had been four years in the making, and it was the final day to send it in. It was like, it's been proofed a million times. Like, do you sign off on this book going out in the world? There's no changes being made. So I kind of sat down and I read over the just my mom stuff again. And I really was like, I am asking for a sign that my mom, obviously she's not here, but you don't want to feel like you're being exploitative or I would do anything that would dishonor her or make her, you know, you just like, it's hard to tell someone's story that's not here. And I'm like, I think it's all A love letter to her, but I'm also talking about addiction and some darker things. And I just said to myself, okay, I'm going to say yes, but I would love a sign if there's ever any signs out there to be had. So I press send, I get in my car. I'm always running late, run to my car. I I try to ask Siri to play this song. I'm like, Siri, will you play this one like Joan Collins song? I keep asking for it. And she's like, I don't understand you. And I'm like, Siri, and I'm getting pissed, you know, I'm like, <laughs> play <it."> whatever. <laughs> and then there's like this long pause and Siri goes, Yes, we will play something from our Apple radio made for you, Casey. Now I'm like, what? I know I know that exists, but like never come on one time (laughs) in my life. I don't know what the fuck she's talking about. And it was the Ava Cassidy somewhere over the rainbow. Wow. And I was just like, it was very eerie. I'd not asked for that, even not even asked for that song. I mean, it was strange. And I'm like, okay, I I could – Brush this off, but for, again, I don't really care about the why or if it's true. It more just for me, left here on Earth, I was like, I'm going to take this as a sign and put it out there, and I know my intentions are pure, and I think it ended up really helping people, and that was, so that was, like, the biggest sign I've ever gotten.
1: Thank you so much to Casey, to Brian Pedersen for the support, and to Coco Breton for the music. And thank you so much to you for this great season make sure to subscribe wherever you listen and follow us on Instagram so you can stay up to date on when we're back. And as always, tell your friends about us, do cool things. And if you enjoyed it, give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks.